three levels to the family. But with these levels of the family unit, there's also three levels of responsibility attached. There's three levels of ownership that is, that is needed in our families. So the first level, level one, starting off at the bottom, that's the spouse. That's the spouse, husband and wife. You know, uh, we, we have told our kids before, uh, when, they, when they come into a room and they see mommy and daddy, you know, kissing. Yeah, we do that still. Or hugging or whatever. You know, they, they're still at the age, and it's a precious age that I'm trying to bottle up as long as I can, where both Aubrey and Addison go, ew! You know, or they roll their eyes and say, oh. You know, and, and, and again, we just want to bottle that. We want to bottle that. We want that to, to stay as uh, repulsive to them as long as possible, right? Um, so they see that, and, they, and, and often they will even say, why do you guys kiss all the time? Why do you guys do that? And our answer is, is instinctively, well, because we love each other, and, and you know what? We actually like each other still. And then usually that's followed up with, and we were married a long time before we had you. So, you know, we've had this relationship dynamic for a while. Uh, and and that's, that's how it starts, right? It starts with the spouse, with parents. And, and parents, we need to remember, this is my challenge to you on this level, we need to remember that we are husband and wife first in our families before we are mom and dad. Not that we neglect our responsibilities as mom and dad, not at all. We'll, we'll get to that. But we've got to remember that God brought us together as husband and wife before he made us parents. And it's easy to forget that. It's easy to get wrapped up and caught up in all the duties and responsibilities and expectations of being a mom and dad. And it's great. I mean, being a parent is one of the greatest gifts in the world. But if we neglect our role as husband or wife then not only will we suffer in our relationship, but ultimately our kids will suffer as well. They need to see a home where mom and dad not only stay together, but are very much and continually in love. They need to see that. They need to see that demonstrated. They need to see that illustrated. They need to see that embodied. And what we also need to understand about this level, the spouse level, is that our marriage is not just about us. Our marriage, being a husband and wife, God's plan is to use the husband and wife dynamic, that relationship, as a picture of the gospel itself. As I love my wife the way I'm supposed to, and as she loves me the way she's supposed to, as wrongs are forgiven continually, as grace is extended to one another, as we choose to pursue one another. It's all a picture of what happens in the gospel. That God, through Christ, pursued us. That he loves us with an unconditional love. That though we fail time and time again, he forgives and welcomes us back over and over and over. As we receive grace, the marriage picture is this unique opportunity to display grace to other people. First of all, to your spouse directly, and then to other people as they see the way you function as husband and wife. And there's some responsibilities 
There's some responsibility, some specific level of responsibility for the husband and wife that, that I want you to, to think about. And there's, there's responsibilities on each of these levels as we go forward. But under level one, under the level of spouse, here's the responsibilities for the spouse. The first responsibility is to submit. And feel free to write that in. There should be some room underneath. Submit is the first level of responsibility that we have. Uh, We also have responsibility to love one another. Submit or submission, love. And then we also have the responsibility of sacrifice, mutual sacrifice. Ephesians 5.22 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's what makes this such a tall order. That the the wife's role of submitting to the husband is not just for the husband. It's an actual expression of honor and worship and glory to the Lord himself. And and this is one of those verses that can be easily abused, right? Where... where, Men and, and husbands that don't understand this properly can hold this over the wife's head and say, see, you're supposed to submit to me in everything. You're supposed to do what I say, right? No, that's, that's, not, what, that's not what this is about. This is about the wife recognizing the divinely appointed role as the, for the husband as the spiritual head of that household and of that family. That the husband... We, we husbands are to guide and to direct our family to the Lord. We're to make sure their walk with the Lord is personal and real and vibrant and growing. And we're to do whatever it takes to, to guide our families so that that is true. We're responsible to, to protect our home and our family members. Not just physically, although that is certainly true. We're also to guide their hearts. We're to mold the minds and hearts of our children and for our wives, we're to to enhance their heart, we're to protect their heart, we're to add to their heart and we're to lead all of it to the Lord himself. And so wives, when when this verse talks about submitting um, to the husband, it means give him that role. Don't try to seize that role away. If, If your husband is not a great leader in your home, pray for him, you know, encourage him, do what you can to lovingly help him to be that leader, but it does not mean you just seize the reins and seize the role. Now, it's, it's different if there's not a, a husband in the picture. It's different if there's not a, a man in the picture. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a, a unit that functions as mom, dad, husband, wife. There is a husband in the picture. God has set up that he is to have the spiritual leadership in that home. And this is a hard thing. This is a hard thing. Because all the way back at the beginning, when this was all set up in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, when, when they fell, when they sinned, God looked at Eve and he said, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you, right? We, we know that verse, probably a lot of us. That's, that's in the pronunciations of the curse from the sin. What, what the original really is talking about, though, there is you are going to desire to have all the authority. You're going to desire to be over your husband. You're not going to find it natural 
to, to just submit, yet he's going to still have the position of leadership. You're going to still have to submit. And so it's been this, this, this struggle for a long time. And, and none of us love, enjoy, willingly placing ourselves under the authority of others. That's not our natural mode. You know, our natural default is to just do what we want, when we want, how we want, and the way we want, right? That, that's what comes easy to us. And so in this concept of submission, that's hard. It's hard. It's especially hard if, wives, you have a husband that's, um, well, difficult to submit to, right? That makes it even harder. But the Bible doesn't give you an out. It does not say... Wives, submit to your own husbands as long as it's easy for you to do so. Wives, submit to your own husbands uh, only if they make it worth your while. Wives, submit to your husbands only if... Dot, dot, dot. No, it just says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is one of the things I talk about very early on whenever I do marriage counseling, before a wedding or during a marriage that is having trouble come back to this, because this is one of the first things that we need to understand. Now, men, a word to to you. Husbands, we need to make it easy for our wives for them to submit. We need to make it as easy as possible. We need to, to live and love them and lead them in a way that it is natural for them and desiring of them that they would submit to us. That's what we need to do. We need to make it easy for them to do that. And we're not off the hook, guys. Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Think about that for a minute. How, How much did Christ love the church? He loved it to the point of death. He gave his life for the church. He loved the church, you and me, his body, us that we're part of. He loved it so much that he paid the ultimate price, which was total self-sacrifice. And that's the way we're commanded to love our wives, husbands. We're to love them not just the way we love them, or not just to love our wives to the ability that we have, not just to love our wives... um, as we feel like it. No, it says, husbands love your wives just as. In other words, in the same way, in the same expression that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We need to remember what that means. Because for Christ to love the church that much and, and give himself up for it, it, meant, it means that we have to go back and think about what eternity past was like. And we have to remember, as John 1 tells us, in the beginning, in other words, when things began, before that, the Word always was. Jesus Christ, the Word. The Son of God, eternal. The Word of God, eternal. The Bible tells us that for however long eternity went on before creation, there was Jesus with the Father in total fellowship, complete communion, the glory and worship of Countless angels, the perfection of heaven, the fellowship not just with the Father but with the Holy Spirit, the Trinity completely together in mutual love, mutual respect, perfection. Then 
creation occurs. And Jesus Christ himself is the creator. We know that from John 1. We know that from Colossians 1. We know that from Hebrews 1. It's, it's he that was the creator of all things. So here's the Son of God fashioning and molding and making everything we know of in creation, the chiefest of which was you and me. We were the supreme creation of all of creation, mankind, the jewel. And one rule, right? Don't eat of that tree. That's it. Everything else, go for it. It's yours. Just don't do that one. Long story short, that most of us know, that wasn't enough. What was provided wasn't enough. God's relationship with them, him walking with them in the cool of the day wasn't enough. They were taken away, enticed, and they chose to sin. So here's the Son of God, the creator of all things and of Adam and Eve, looking down, seeing his creation completely betray him. Then a plan is put into place. Plan is put into place that God himself would redeem what was now broken. God himself would restore what had been damaged. But what it would cost was more than we could ever comprehend or fathom. Because the cost for that redemption, the cost for that restoration, the cost for our justification before God that we were desperately in need of, the cost was the life of the Son of God. And for that to happen, it meant the eternal Son of God, the all-powerful Word of God, would leave that heaven, would leave that environment of perfect oneness with the Father, worshipped by angels. He would come to this cursed, cold, dark, sin-filled world where he knew he would be rejected, not embraced. Where he knew he would go to the cross and not bypass it. Where he knew he would be forsaken by his Father so that we would never have to be forsaken. That's how much Christ loved the church. You and me. Self-sacrifice. Ultimate surrender. That's the expression of love. And husbands, (laughs) we're called to love our wives in that way where it's putting her first, putting her above my interest and my desires, putting her first, putting her foremost, under God, of course, pursuing what is best for her, lifting her up, building her up. That's what we're called to do as husbands. It's a tall order, isn't it? It's a tall order, wives. It's hard. This does not come naturally. This does not come easy. And yet it's absolutely what is required. This is what it means to take proper ownership at this level of our family. This is what it means to to own your role as husband or wife the right way. Submission, mutual respect, unconditional self-sacrificing love. That's the first level. Level two, long comes baby and the baby carriage, right? Level two is the level of parents, the parents. And I don't think you're ever quite ready for this level, no matter how much you wait, no matter how, how long you go without having kids. Um, you know, Leanne is from a large family. She is one of seven, one of seven, and her brother was sitting down here, and, and he's, he's the baby who has a baby now. Um, and when I, when I first 
started dating Leanne, I didn't realize there was that many of them, you know. Um, (laughs) Before we started dating, I knew three of her siblings. I knew her brother David. We were actually good friends, still are. Um, I knew her sister Amanda, and I knew her brother John. Yes, brother John. Um, And I thought that was it. Wow, was I in for a surprise, you know. And, um, at, you know, lo- skipping ahead from that, we were, we were getting married, and Leanne already had in mind that we were going to have kids, and I, did you have a certain number in mind? No? Okay. But you, you knew we were going to have kids, in the plural, and um, I hadn't given it a single thought. Like, I'd never really been around babies, and um, I just didn't even really want kids. Like, I just kind of envisioned it was just going to be us you know, doing whatever we wanted, going wherever we wanted, this naive, foolish, foolish dream. Then comes baby in the baby carriage. And uh, Aubrey comes along right, <laughs> right at, the, at the time where I lost my job and we didn't know what I was going to do. Leanne was finishing up her, her observation and student teaching her senior year of college. She didn't have a job. Nothing was lined up. And da-da-da-da, you know? So, I mean, I freak out. Like, I, I'm just like, you know, I'm panicking about to pass out, you know, and, and that, that really makes her feel great, right? You know, like, oh boy, I can't wait to have this baby when my husband is totally on board. Not but it comes, you know, it happened, and, and there's, there's Aubrey, and, and instantly she has my heart, right? And, and she grows me up real quick, having a baby. We moved to Virginia, we're there, life goes on, moved to a new house, and ta-da-da-da! child number two. And Leanne did this wonderful way of letting me know by doing this scavenger hunt around the yard, like with all these little clues that I had to uncover. <laughs> and finally I got to the last one, and I was like, really? Are you kidding me? I still wasn't ready, you know? But it happened, and Addison quickly also captured my heart, just like Aubrey. Um, then we, you know, we come back up here and we're, we're in the middle of this transition, even with a house, we're staying with my parents for a few months until we find housing and by this time I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Whatever. You know, (laughs) she was the one crying when she found out and I was the one like, "Eh, this will work. We can do this. My point is you're never completely ready for being a parent. But sometimes that doesn't matter. Ready or not, here it comes, right? And so the question is, what will you do with your new role as parent? And how are you functioning in that? What are you doing? How are you taking ownership of your role as a parent? And there's a lot of responsibility with being a parent. Because you're now responsible, not just for another life physically, but now, in, if you're a Christian, you understand, you now have the responsibility of this life on a spiritual level. You now have the responsibility to so represent your heavenly father, your savior, the Lord Jesus, that it makes your child also want that relationship. 
We're supposed to live in a way in our, in our own walk with Christ that our children, as soon as they're old enough to really think through these things and process this, that they see the need in their own life. And they want that too. We have a responsibility, Christian mom and dad, to bring our children to God. It's a heavy responsibility. So just as with the first level, the, the responsibility of, of spouses, there is responsibilities inherent to parenthood. And here's what it is. We're to teach we're to guide and we're to prepare our children. Teach, guide, and prepare. That's our responsibilities. Proverbs 22.6 says this, Teach a youth about the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And that's a, that's a hard verse right there. And, and there's some, some level of controversy to that because I know for a fact I could come down and, and ask some of you one-on-one, how, has your, how, how have your children progressed in their relationship with Christ? Are your kids living for the Lord? And invariably, many of you would say, no, they're not. My son, my daughter, or whatever, my granddaughter, my grandson is not living for the Lord, and I don't understand it because they were raised in the Word of God. We, we, we represented God to them. We talked about God all the time. We, we embodied faith to them. And when they were younger, they were all about it. But then something happened, and now they're still far away from God. I don't understand it. That would probably be some of your stories. But this promise does not include a certain time of rebellion. This promise does not mention that that could or might happen. It just says, when they are old, when they are completely mature, when they reach the pinnacle of their life, if you teach a youth about the way they should go, in other words, if you teach them about the word of God and you instruct them in the things of God and you, you point them to God and you're faithful to that, God will honor that. And at some point, he's going to work in their heart and he's going to work in their mind and he will bring them back around to it. I believe that promise. And I've seen it happen many times with, with sometimes decades in between. But it still happens at some point. That's the promise of the scripture. Teach a youth about the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. There will be a point where you've got to let your child go. And they've got to come to the place where they own faith for themselves. And many times it takes that period of questioning or that period of of even rebellion for them to understand that they do own it, that they need it, that they believe what they said they believed long ago or they believe what you always instructed them to believe, that it becomes their own. Sometimes it takes trial and hardship. Not every time, praise the Lord, but sometimes that is what what it takes. We need to cling to this promise and be faithful to our part in teaching and in guiding. Ephesians 6, 4 says this, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up. So you don't stir up, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This does not mean, fathers and mothers, this does not mean you never do anything that causes your children to get mad at you. (laughs) This does not mean that. This does not mean do, never do anything that they're going to disagree with. Never do anything that's going to cause them to be frustrated. Not what it's talking about. 
Parents need to actually parent. Okay? Parents need to actually parent. Uh, Moms and dads, while you are raising your kids, while you are raising your kids, while I'm raising my kids, uh, we're to be their parent, not their friend. And that may sound harsh, but it's what's necessary. Your children need you to be their parent while you're raising them, not their buddy. Now, that does not mean that we don't have a tender relationship with them. That does not mean we aren't friendly with them. That doesn't mean, you know, we, we have to be drill sergeants in the home. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about, though, is that there is a difference in the relationship dynamic while we're raising our kids. And until the, the child is grown, we really, we really can't be friends with them in that level. We've got to be the parent. We've got to be the guide. We've got to be the one that instructs. We've got to be the one that holds them to discipline. Because without that structure, without discipline, without boundaries, then what we are doing is creating another generation, like we're seeing now, without any compass, without any filter, without any boundary, without any honor. That's what we're seeing in our culture. And it's not all tied to, but it is very significantly tied to the fact that parents slowly and surely have become friends with their child more than they are their parent. We've got to be the parent first, and sometimes that means being maybe more strict than we would like, maybe being more particular than we or our children would like, but out of love, this is what is required. You know, the, the classic thing that parents say to their kids, we've said it too, um, when, when, parents, uh, when children question why they can't do this or why they, they have to do this, the answer is because I love you, right? If we didn't care, we'd let you do whatever you want. If we didn't love you, we wouldn't impose any boundaries on you. But because we love you, we do this. You know, it's the idea of if we didn't love you, we'd let you just go out and play in the, in the traffic. We wouldn't care. There wouldn't be a boundary. We wouldn't say you can't go close to the road, and if you go close to the road, there will be punishment to teach you not to go close to the road. We wouldn't care. We'd just say, yeah, do whatever you want. Express yourself as much as you want. Parents need to be parents. What this does mean, this verse, is that we don't just push their buttons, though. You know, we don't just irritate them for the sake of doing it. We don't just, you know, nag them over and over and over. It means that we don't place an unnecessary burden on their life. It means we understand the level that they're at. We don't impose more on them than they're able to receive at the stage in which they are. So it's about being careful. It's about being very intentional with your personal child and their makeup and where they're at. That's what it means to to not stir up anger, or as other translations say, do not provoke your children to wrath. It means you've got to still be sensitive in how you lead your children and how you instruct them. It also means we have to avoid being inconsistent as parents. Because kids watch, and kids know. And kids are able to see what is real and what is fake, better than even adults. Kids spot fake, fakeness, phoniness a mile away. And what they need to see in us, parents, is that we are consistently walking our talk. Because if not, as they hear us instructing them and guiding them and disciplining them, they're going to be so aware of those inconsistencies that your discipline and everything will fall flat and they will grow to resent your instruction rather than appreciate it. 
So consistency is key on our part to avoid stirring them up in anger or provoking them to wrath. And in contrast to that, we are to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The idea is cultivate. That's the imagery expressed in this original uh, in the original language behind this text. It's, it's cultivating. It's, it's raising like you would raise a garden. It's cultivating you know, your, your plants. You pour into it what is needed to make the plant blossom and thrive. That's the idea here. As parents, we are to pour in to our children and give them every resource and everything necessary for them to thrive, not just survive. That's what we're called to do as parents, as Christian parents. That's how we're supposed to take ownership at this level. Then lastly, the third level on our house is the child level. Children, the child level. And yes, children, kids, you have responsibilities too. <laughs> there, are, there are aspects of the family dynamic that you are also to take ownership in. Um, it's not just on mom and dad. It's not just on husbands and wives. If you are part of a family dynamic, every part of the family, every level of the family has responsibility to take, has ownership they are supposed to take. And here's what the responsibilities or area of ownership is for our children. To listen, to obey, and to honor. Listen, obey, and honor. Proverbs 1.8 says this, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and don't reject your mother's teaching. Listen, to my son, your father's instruction, and do not reject your mother's teaching. This, this requires some decisiveness on the part of our children. Kids, this means you've got to choose you're going to actually listen. You're going to be active in that. You're going to tune other voices out and other distractions out, and you're going to listen to what your parents have to say to you, and you're going to value it. There's a value attached when we're listening. When we're eagerly listening to someone or something, it means we're valuing that voice, and we're choosing to to lend our ear and our attention to it. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents as you would the Lord. Now, this is part of the same passage, Ephesians 6 and Ephesians 5, it's the same passage of of instruction for the family. And in each level, husbands, wives, and children, did you notice that Paul is saying, as to the Lord? He's bringing everything back to the Lord. He's saying, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now here in in verse 1 of chapter 6, children, obey your parents as you would the Lord. See, that's, that's our motivator. Whether you're a husband or a wife or a child, your motivation is that you, you take ownership in your family role and dynamic, not just to make it good for you, although that's part of it, it's to bring glory and honor to the Lord in how you function as a family. It's, it's the husband honoring the Lord as he loves his wife. It's the wife honoring the Lord as she submits to her husband, and it's the children honoring the Lord and doing this to the Lord as they obey and listen to their parents. It all comes back to him. He has to be the focus. And he should be the focus. Children, obey your parents as you would the Lord, because this is right. In other words, this, this is what is, should be expected. This is reasonable. This is, this is natural for you as a Christian. Then Ephesians 6, 2-3 says this. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And here's what the promise is. 
so that it may go well for you, may go well with you, and that you may have a long life in the land. It's the first commandment with a promise in Exodus when all this was laid out before the children of Israel. God said, here's what the command is. I want you to all, every child needs to honor their father and their mother. And if you do that, if you honor, if you esteem, if you elevate your mother and father, if you show them proper respect, you give them honor due to them, then here's the promise. You're going to have a good life. Your life will be blessed. You will have a, a nice, long life. Doesn't, I mean, there, there's other things we could go into with that. Uh, we could dissect that and unpack that more. We're not going to do that. But just suffice it to say that, that there is a very real promise attached that God will bless the life of the child that honors their father and mother. It's a guarantee. What does it mean to honor the father and their mother? It means to, to respect them. It means to hold them up in a place of value. It means to treasure them. It goes beyond just listening. It means you are recognizing their place of authority in your life, children, and you welcome it. It means you're doing whatever you can to make their parenting of you go well and to be easy. And it means, it means you go for, you look out for what is important to them even above yourself. That's what it means to honor, to place them high and exalted above your own thinking, your own wants, your own desires. That's the responsibilities of children. Those three levels have unique roles of ownership, but it's all to contribute to one goal, and that is that the family unit, the Christian family, will be this great, big, bright light broadcasting to the world looking in. We are different, and the reason we are different is because of Christ. A family that functions this way, with wives submitting to their husbands as to the Lord, and husbands loving their wife as Christ loved the church sacrificially, and children that listen and obey and honor, all of that working together, that's going to be a stark contrast to what we see in culture around us. And when the world looks in on that, they're going to see this amazing example of a family that doesn't do this perfectly, but does do it consistently, and they're going to take notice of that. Here's the goal. You have a triangle on your handout, and you should have two blanks. You should see husband on the left and wife on the right, child at the bottom. You should see two blanks. On the first blank there in the middle, I want you to write God. I want you to write God. And you see the arrows going across to husband and wife. You see the arrow going up from the child, and the arrow's going from the child to the husband and wife, and then both pointing up in that top blank, also write God. Write God at the top of the blank, and then the middle blank as well. So you see this picture. You have God at the top. He's the goal. He's who we look to. He's what we do all of this for in our families. He's the pursuit. He's our aim. He's the target we're, we're shooting for in our family. I love my wife, not just for her, but for the sake of Christ who loved me. My wife submits to me, not just for me, but as unto the Lord. My children listen and obey and honor, not just because they're supposed to or they're afraid of what will happen. We get them to the point where they understand they're doing that for the Lord himself. So he's our goal. 
But my friends, we all know how hard any of this is to do. In fact, it's impossible. Every level of this that we've looked at today, every area of ownership we're supposed to take is impossible for us. It's too much. We can't do this. I can't love my wife on my own as Christ loved the church. She can't submit to me as to the Lord as she's supposed to on her own. My children aren't going to be able to to listen and obey and honor as they should to the Lord on their own. We have to have help. And thankfully, by the grace of God, we have it through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must be, must be the fuel to keep us going in these ways. He must be the, the power that drives us on every level of our family dynamic. He's the one that will enable us to take the right ownership in this. So he's the source of the power and the ability, and he's the one we do it for. And as my child loves God, they're going to love me, and they're going to love my wife. And as I love God, I'm going to love my wife the way I should. And as she loves God, she's going to love me. And then we all together pursue and honor and love and live for God, which will ensure our family will not be perfect, but it will stand strong no matter what comes against it. And there is a lot coming against our families, right? Wouldn't you agree with that? A lot coming against our families. The only way to not just survive but to thrive, no matter what culture does around us, is to pursue this model, to have this way of thinking. It's what we have to do. And this will always, always speak powerfully to the world looking in. 